welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Team Builder. Team Builder is the premier strength and conditioning app for baseball teams. Team Builder is used by 11 organizations in Major League Baseball. Baseball coaches from travel to college teams can write training programs or choose from pre-designed training programs built by professional baseball strength coaches, all for as low as $50 per month. Personally, we used Team Builder when I was coaching at Western Illinois University. It's very user-friendly and streamlines all of your programming. It also makes training sessions on or off campus easier to access for your athletes. Right now, when you start a 14-day free trial, use promo code ABCA to receive four free baseball-specific strength and conditioning training programs directly into your account. In just one click, you can set your team up with a professionally designed strength training program delivered to every player's mobile app every single day. You can reach out to Hewitt Tomlin over at Team Builder on Twitter at T-E-A-M- B-U-I-L-D-R, or on their website at www.teambuilder.com, or via phone at 240-528-7848, and let Hewitt know that the ABCA sent you. And now on to the ABCA podcast. Next on calls from the clubhouse is Robin Lund. Coach Lund finished his second season as an assistant at the University of Iowa. He spent one year as the hitting coach, and this past season was the Hawkeyes pitching coach. Prior to Iowa, he spent 16 years as a professor at the University of Northern Iowa. In his time at UNI, he worked with both the Panther softball and baseball programs. Coach Lund has a doctorate in exercise science and is also a certified strength and conditioning coach. Let's welcome Coach Lund to the podcast. All right, here with Robin Lund, pitching coach at Iowa, and uh, happy Memorial Day, and uh, also congrats to Brett. You know, we talked about that. He was valedictorian, um, so that was awesome. I, I, I fought, you're a, I'm a big Twitter fan of yours, so um, I keep, <laughs> well, appreciate keep it. That Thank way. you. So, you, know, you and I have known each other for a little bit here, and I've always enjoyed our talks. And then last year, when I was at the or this year when I was at the Iowa High School Coaches Clinic, got a chance to watch you talk, and I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about your background and then get into that that speech as well. You know, you have an extensive uh, background in kinesiology and certified strength and conditioning. What has that background helped you on the coaching side with? Yeah, so you know, way way back when um, I got done, I graduated, was done with my my playing career, wasn't good enough to play pro ball. Um, I coached at a small junior uh, at a junior college, Spokane Falls um, Community College, and that was in the that was the time when we were just starting to get into strength and conditioning, like the mid '90s. You know what I mean? Where it was like, hey, this is and this is important, um, but nobody really had strength and conditioning coaches, especially at a community college. You wouldn't have that for sure. So the guy that I worked for, Dave Keller, was like, hey, guess what, uh, Robin, you're going to be our strength coach. So I, I mean, I just went to work and just started. Um, researching, found the National Strength and Conditioning Association, um, got certified. It was, it, it, I was lucky because my degrees were, in, my undergraduate degree was in physical education and my master's degree was in exercise physiology. So that kind of goes hand in hand. Anyway, I got certified and just became the strength coach. Um, and I've been on the hitting side, you know, obviously my whole life. And I've, I've actually kept up that certification. I'm still, you know, certified to this day, even though 
I was a, a professor for 17 years. Um, uh, and I didn't use that like the programming aspect of the strength and conditioning piece working with hitters because you know you can kind of you can kind of hit every day and and guys are generally pretty resilient it's not as hard on the body as say throwing a baseball as hard as you can but on the pitching side that just the, the programming aspect has been really really good you know uh, for that part you know and you talked about being in the classroom uh and and you're in the classroom for 16 years and that was the thing that I, that stuck out to me with your presentation at the Iowa Coaches Clinic is that I thought you're taking really complex information and making it digestible. Being in the classroom that long, do you feel like that's helped you on the coaching side? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I taught you know biomechanics and muscle phys and statistics and research methods. So like kind of on the exercise side, when you think of like a physical, a classic physical education program. Um, you know, there's this aspect, there's a kind of a core of science courses you have to take that involve, you know, motor learning and ex-phys, biomechanics, all that stuff. And so I've had an opportunity to teach all that stuff, you know, including anatomy and, and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, your job is to take, you know, complex information and get it to where the point where 19, 20, 21 year olds understand it, you know? So I think, that, that lends itself really well. And, 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 and it's funny because like, I don't pull any punches with our guys. Like, I mean, I teach them, like we have little sessions where if I'm going to talk about, um, you know, valgus stress and varus torque of the elbow, then they need to know what that is. We got to teach that first. And so, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's helped me a lot. How, how are you? Cause with some of your guys, they're probably going to understand the information. Maybe with some of your guys who don't get that info, how are you making it digestible for them? I do a lot of um, pre-teaching, and so we we created a, a Vimeo account. Um, Nick Ung set that up for me, and um, I make a, basically a PowerPoint, and then I use a piece of software called Snagit. It's just it's what I use. There's lots of different ways to do it. Anyway, and then I, I basically just pre-teach, and so um, I, I I make videos. Um, there'll there'll be some anatomical concepts in there, biomechanics concepts. Um, and then lots of videos, lots of gifts, lots of, you know, imagery to, to show what I'm talking about. And they they usually range. Sometimes they're as short as, you know, five minutes, sometimes they're 30 minutes long. Um, and so we'll start with that. So it's a lot of work on the, on the front end for me, but, um, I can continue to kind of just send them those Vimeo links and, and, and they watch those. And when they come in, it's like, Hey, you can just get a quick knowledge check, right? Pick a few guys out in the crowd and make sure they watched it and then, and go from there. But it's, it does save a lot of time on the, on the back end for sure. When they've got it, them seeing you do that's got to give a lot of credence to what you're doing too, because you're putting the work in for them. Yeah. I think they appreciate it. They, they will request them, you know, they, they'll lose the link. Hey, can you show me that? Send me that lower body, you know, movement pattern link again or whatever, you know? So I'll get some of that from some of the guys too. Absolutely. You know, you've been on all aspects of it. Is coaching coaching, no matter what you're doing, whether it's strength and conditioning side, softball, baseball, is coaching coaching? Yeah, I, th I think it is. Um, like when I when I got done, when I, like for example, when my wife and I started having kids, um, my daughter was, my first kid was born, she was born in 1999. And that's when I, I had been kicking around the idea of a PhD. That that solidified it. I just, I just got, I just, we decided as a, as a married couple to get out of it and, and try to get a faculty position. And it was a wonderful job for, for, you know, for raising kids and stuff like that. But I coached all of them. You know what I mean? I coached all of their teams growing up. Um, and then same thing. I was a strength coach for, you know, Ed Chef for a few years while I was getting my PhD at Lewis Clark State College. 
Um, I was Rick's Heller strength coach at the University of Northern Iowa for three years, I believe, while I was a you know working towards tenure. So I've been coaching the whole time. Um, and yeah, I think to some aspect, the coaching is coaching for sure. What were some of the biggest things you picked up from Coach Chef? Um, his work ethic was like legendary, like absolutely legendary. Like I, I don't think I was ever at uh, Harris Field um, and and him not be there. Like it doesn't matter what time. It just seemed like he was always, always there. Um, his attention to detail was was ridiculous, and and you know he gets he gets talked about a lot um, for how kind of intense he was and and being pretty rough on rough on the guys. Um, but what people don't realize, you know, he really was a very caring and, and person. I mean, he was really, really great to me while I was there. He was actually my Legion coach too, for a summer. Um, cause I went to high school in Lewis and Idaho. And so, um, we won the state championship that year. He was our assistant coach and, uh, uh, you know, we were really good, but, um, Ed's attention to detail was ridiculous. And then the other thing too, people don't realize is he was a real innovator. Um, I remember in the in the in the eighties uh, when I was in high school there, how he was telling all of his guys hit the ball in the air. Like there was, he did not want the ball in the ground. And he was the only guy in the world then talking about hit the ball in the air because I mean he had figured that out. So yeah, no, Ed Ed was was a big deal um, working for him and playing for him. You know, we were supposed to to record on Friday, and you know, just this how kind of happenstance and luck is. Um, you know they. Kendall Rogers comes out with uh, expanding the season, moving into the summer, and then you had a great thread. For anybody that's listening in, um, can you just throw out your Twitter handle so they know that, and then oh. can we talk about that thread a little bit? For yeah, anybody sure. that didn't see the thread that can go back and look at it, because I thought you made some great points with moving the season into the summer with pitcher's yeah. arms. Yeah, it's just Robin Lund, and then my handle is at Lunderton. It's just a silly nickname that my best friend in college gave me, so I just used it. <laughs> But, you know, for, for on your side of it, and especially from the northern part of the world, uh, you just get used to cramming guys in to try to get them ready. Can you talk a little bit about what that would do to, to move the season closer yeah. to the summertime? For me, the most nerve wracking time of the year last year, there's a few of them. One, when I was named pitching coach and was never been a pitching coach, that was a little nerve wracking period for me. But, uh, but obviously ramping the guys up when they come back. Um, for Christmas, you know, you, you, you put together a plan for them, um, that you, if executed in theory, they should have the fitness levels, the chronic fitness levels to be able to tolerate, you know, uh, a relatively, well, the, these ramp ups are aggressive. They have to be aggressive, you know, to get them ready to go. But that, that, that period of time when they come back on campus is that's a scary time because every week you're asking them to do more and more and more. Um, and so, you know, if you, the data is really clear, unfortunately we don't have college data, but, you know, human beings are human beings. And, and this data, there's, there's research been done with soccer and rugby and, you know, all sorts of different things. And, and it, 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 the, the results are very consistent that, you know, the more fitness you have, um, the more able you're, the, the, the better able you're able to tolerate these ramp ups, but obviously um, the faster the ramp up, the greater the risk is. And so you look at the big league um, data, there's a lot of big league data out there. Um, you know, they get a six week period, um, for spring training and then they're playing and the high, the, by far the, the highest rate injury rates occur in the month of April, that first month. And then there's a really, really big drop off from April to May and then May to June is a small drop off. And then it, and then it, it, it levels off. And so, you know, you could, you could kind of say that, you know, maybe a 10 week ramp up 
would prevent a lot of those injuries. And I think if we did that, you, I think they would see a reduction in injuries as well. Now you're never going to prevent them all, but you know, currently like last year we had three weeks with the guys before we played and this new proposal gets it to a nine or a 10 week, which could potentially be the optimal time. So to me, it's a no brainer. I agree with you on that. Um, you know, just the, the amount of years that I coached, I just felt like we were crammed. We were lucky that we didn't have a lot of guys get hurt. Um, yeah. But you're just hoping to kind of get through that first month of the season. It, you knew if you could get to conference play and everybody was in good shape, you're probably going to be okay with your arms yep. more than anything. Um, even hamstrings too, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely with your position players as well. Yeah, yep, yeah absolutely. All of it. Um, you know, you, you have a huge passion for cooking. Um, is that a release for you or do you feel like it helps you on the coaching side also? I, I use it a lot of different ways. Like – I, I just really like it. And the biggest benefit for me, because we have to eat every day. So it's something you have to do. Um, I can connect with anybody. We can chat about food. I can have a conversation with anybody, with our guys. Um, it's a way for me to get our, our family together around the table. We're not fighting them. If I'm making really nice meals, there's no fight to get them around the table. So we interact as a family every day. Um, and, and I use it with the guys. I mean, we, we, I try to get the guys over last year. We only got them over once. Um, and then we had the season end, but, uh, you know, you're only allowed to do it a few times with compliance things, but I try to have the guys over and, and cook for them and, and use that as a, as a bit of a carrot, um, for some of the stuff we do with our, uh, we do like a command challenge in the fall to try to get guys to lock in with their throwing. How, how are you everything. grading your command challenge? Oh, so it, it what we did, and, and I'm going to change it up a little bit this year. Basically, the every day, the first 30 throws are, are highly scripted. The first 30 throws, they make the drills that they're going to do that that week. And then the distances are all set. And so, basically, I just they played 3-2-1, right? You get three points for hitting your partner in the head, two for the chest, one for the belt. And then they kept track of their scores, wrote them on a whiteboard. And then I weighted them a little heavier each week so that the guys on the bottom had a chance to – they had a good week – could kind of climb up to keep them motivated and that posted the top five every week on Twitter. So a little, a little public shaming never hurt. And then, uh, um, and then at the end of the command challenge, I had the guys all come over to my house and I, I made pulled pork and Mac and cheese and a bunch of different things. And then, uh, but the guys who were the top five, I grilled them each like a, a two inch center cut ribeye. I saw that. Yeah. And so there was a, the, the competitiveness and the, the quality of catch during the first 30 were, were very high yep. because of, you know, you just get guys competing and, and all of a sudden they want to win. You know what I mean? So the, the focus was really high. And your presentation for the Iowa coaches clinic, um, it's called leveraging motor learning to improve efficiency, improve, improve and efficiency. And, um, you know, can you just go over that a little bit um, and kind of how you came to that realization? And we can go over that a little bit right now. Yeah, the the whole I'm going to pull up that presentation. too. Yeah, um, yep. And I was and, looking uh, at it this morning to take notes off of it. Sure. The um, when I start first started getting the motor learning, ironically, like I got through a master's degree and a Ph.D. in exercise science and never once ever took a motor learning class, which is, which is crazy. Um, and it's my fault. I mean, I just attribute it with motor learning. All the examples are pedagogy. So little kids, I'm like, how's this going to help me? And like just being silly, but now obviously it's like obviously really important, but I had a dog, uh, my daughter, um, play softball at Augustana. They, they won the national championship last year and she runs, she's a, she steals a ton of bases and she wants to be fast. And so as we were trying to get her to run more effectively, um, I just was like, you know, we're trying, 
getting somebody to change the way they run is hard. So I just started diving into that content um, on the sprint side. And the more I read, the more I was like, man, I can apply this to all sorts of things. And so I think motor learning, I tell this to young coaches all the time, you know, they'll, they'll ask me, you know, like, what should I get into? Is it biomechanics? Is it, should I get into the analytics? I like, there's all these different little areas in, in exercise science, sports science that you could kind of specialize in sports psychology, all these different things. And I've been telling guys, like, I honestly, the one, the thing that is most aligned with coaching is the motor learning piece. It's the how it gives you the roadmap to get a guy. How do we get a guy to change? Um, and so I think that that science is really accessible. I don't think it's, it, it's not as heavy with like some of the math concepts and physics concepts that you're going to see in biomechanics and those things. I saw, I don't mean it's like, I'm not saying it's dumbed down or anything like that is it's, it's really great research. It's super technical. It's awesome. I love it, but it's accessible. You know what I mean? You don't have to have a really strong math background to get in there. Um, and so I basically, if you ask me some really tough questions on motor learning, I, I don't know the literature as well as I say, no, some of the biomechanics stuff. Um, but when I read that stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring through it and I'm just trying to find those nuggets that are usable. So I think, you know, the way that I, uh, present motor learning, um, you know, we talked about taking tough concepts and make them easy to apply. Like that's what I'm doing for myself. Like how I'm it's always filtered through the lens of how can I use this to make our guys better? And that's what that presentation was about. How did you do it with her though? You know, you talked about running mechanics. Were you able to make some adjustments with her running mechanics? Yeah. Yeah. So like breaking it down, like taking the upper body out of it and just, cause for her, it was her lower body. Um, and it was her acceleration. Her, her first four or five strides, she had a real asymmetry between her right and left leg. And so it was a combination of some of that. And it was a, this is when I started getting into movement screens too, and, and mobility and, and some of those things as well. Did you and, find anything uh, with movement screens yeah, with her? What'd yeah. She find? had a, yeah, it was a, it was a, uh, tight, hip flexor yep. on the left side that was basically throwing everything off. Was it affecting her shin angles then with her? It was, initial? it was, it was, it was affecting the, um, her, the backside mechanics, her, her left heel recovery. Okay. Yeah. And when we fixed it up, it helped her a lot. You know what I mean? So, so uh, what did you do to help her make the adjustment then video? It was a lot of it. Yeah. Video, um, again, and just trying to focus on one thing at a time, um, trying to keep it you know, simple. So we don't overwhelm her. You know what I mean? Lots of internal cueing early with certain drills. So she gets a feel of what, what her legs should be doing. Um, and then obviously attacking those tissues with some different, did you, you know, ever like brace the wall? Is that some of the yep, stuff we did some of that? Yep. yep. We did some of that. Exactly. And then, um, and then extra, a lot of external cues, you know what I mean? Um, good timing to, to, I haven't read the book yet. It's on my, it's on my to-do list, but the language of coaching by uh, Dr. Winkle, Nick Winkleman, I think. Um, I haven't read it yet, but I, it's, it's on my it's on my list for sure. Um, but yeah, so just it, and it takes time, right? It takes a lot of patience and 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 um, everybody, you know, kids learn at different rates, and it, it takes time for those changes to stick. And so you can do it at low speed, and then as you go faster and faster and faster, as the intent increases then, you know, the movement pattern that you're trying to get in there destabilizes and you're kind of back to square one. And so that's really frustrating for the athlete. So you got to do a lot of encouraging, Hey, this takes time, you know, remember, remember where we were at, look at where we're going. And then, and, but the cueing is important, you know, like that internal versus external cueing and when I think they're both important, but you got to use them at the appropriate time. I, I love that. And we can kind of go into the presentation. Cause I loved, you made it, 
you did make it digestible just because you had your points, but then you brought in your big ideas and we can kind of go through that. You know, the first one that you had was movement over mechanics, which I loved. I I think you speak to the times of where we're at right now, but movement over mechanics, I thought was a great place to start with that. Yeah. We just, we, we look at, and, and I've been consuming everything I can consume. Like this is silver lining to this Corona thing has been, and I guess that's my superpower is I can plow through content. Um, and I've been doing that. Um, Hey, have but, you always been inquisitive like that? Yeah. I mean, you have to, right. To go to spend 10 years in college. What about like a, as a teenager, better. same thing. Were you inquisitive as yeah. a teenager? Yeah, I was, I think I was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I was, but, uh, yeah, the movement over mechanics thing is just, you know, like I'm not trying to get guys to look, I'm looking for a pattern, right? There's a, a pattern of movement that I'm looking for. And, you know, one guy's pattern is going to, there can be some style. There can be, they're going to be different because you got mobility differences and strength differences. And then there's just some style stuff in there that, that guys are going to do too. Um, but you, you can still see the pattern right through the deal. And so I think when you start looking at it that way, you can have two guys that seemingly look totally different. But when you, when you start looking for patterns, they'll have, those things will all be present, you know? <laughs> Were you seeing that in the lab at UNI? you know, uh, on the, more on the hitting side. Yeah. On the hitting side. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, and then your next big idea is one thing at a time, which again, I, I thought speaks to keeping it simple. Um, yeah, it's those changes. Like when you start, these guys have been throwing as hard as they can for a long time. And, and there's a reason why they move the way they move. Like their body has, you know, we, the, the term self-organization, right? Like from a motor learning standpoint, like based on their own anatomy and, and strength and all that stuff, they settled into this particular, you know, movement pattern. Um, that thing's stable. I mean, that thing is really in there, you know, to, to quote, uh, to quote Ace Ventura, right? Um, that thing's really on there. Um, it's it. And so it's going to take time to, to change that. And if you're focusing on, you got to look for the low hanging fruit, you got to look for the one thing that is the thing we absolutely most important thing to change and, and go to work on that. Um, and then it's, but it's going to take time. Like you got to be really patient. Well, I love to use one of your pictures as an example with the takeaway out of the glove. Yeah. You know, and, and that was, <laughs> for me, that was beautiful that you showed great examples of that, of just one thing there of, of his takeaway out of his glove with the ball positioning was, was phenomenal. Yeah. So when I got the job, uh, when I was, when, when coach Heller told me, Hey, you're going to be our pitching coach. Um, like right off the bat, we had a couple of guys that um, were dinged up. Uh, one guy had a little bit of a shoulder issue from, and, and, and that I would attribute to probably the positions that his arm was getting in. Um, the humerus was getting real high, um, and and when it does, when the when the humerus gets in those extreme positions, that head of that humerus is going to bang around on the labrum, and it, it can cause some problems. So we went to work on him. Um, we had another kid. Um, that was coming off uh, TJ that needed to make some changes. We had another guy that just kind of had his arm, just, he just was sore, tired. Um, and we, we pulled him out of summer ball and started going to work on him. So anyway, that was kind of my first job was to meet with the, and obviously you can't work with the guys, but meeting with the guys, we can look at video together. We can do some of those things, but talking them through some of these concepts and then giving them a plan to go to work. And, you know, honestly, like, I've been noticing this during Corona, like I can't work with the guys, but we've had about four or five guys make incredible changes to way their lower half is moving. Um, we've got a couple of pro guys that, that continue to work out with us that send me video and it's like them on their own 
if you've read the talent code, right, that deep learning, when you're motivated and you're the one doing, I mean, it's, it's amazing how fast guys can, can make a change. But in all those cases, when we successfully, successfully had a guy change, it was one thing that we were kind of trying, trying to change. Have you come across any guys where you're not doing a ton of tweaking with? Yeah. I mean, you know, our guys are, you know, division one, it's, it's elite. I don't care what you say. If you're a division one pitcher, you're elite. And so they're doing a lot of them. Most of them are doing most of the things I'm happy with how they're moving them, but there, there'll be a guy or two here and there that you're like, man, mate. and it's, it, it's sometimes they're not big things. You know what I mean? But like we had a guy make a really big velocity jump this year and, and it was, uh, it was because of the way his lower half was moving. Um, he changed that. He went from, I mean, he, he was a hard thrower in the past. He was, He'd been, you know, up to 93, I believe. Um, uh, in the fall, he was 80, 87, 88. And then in the winter, he was, bam, boom, touched to 95. And it was just the way he was moving. It was nothing else. Um, I think that's so, yeah. the great thing with upper Midwest kids is they, you may get them at 87, 86, 87, and they're going to make a, a pretty sizable jump at some point. That's the exciting thing with upper Midwest kids is there's some huge ceilings in there with those kids. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But yeah, no, I would say that every one of our guys I'm happy with, but there are a few that we're trying to yep. we're definitely kind of make some subtle changes. And then big idea three, internal versus external. And I love that you, you brought up, hey, it's okay to use internal cues because I think we're at a point right now in coaching where people are throwing internal cues underneath the bus where yeah. I think we need some internal cues sometimes. Yeah, I, I mean, I do. You got to remember that and you, you know, Eugene Bleeker makes this point quite often and people have probably heard it, but like a lot of the, when you read that motor learning research, um, and, and he's right. I mean, a lot of that research is done on little kids. So they're blank slates. And so when you leave a little kid alone that has got no mobility or issues or, and, 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 and actually, and they tend not to be very strong either. Like this is maybe before the growth spurt, you know what I mean? And, and puberty. So they're, they're not very strong. You know, they are going to organize themselves into some patterns that, you know, that make sense, that are good, good patterns. But we're getting guys that are 18, 19, that have been really successful. I'm doing it a certain way. And those patterns are, are they're, they're in there, like they're very stable. And so to just back up and walk away and just not talk about what we, what we need them to, you know, the kind of changes that we wanted to, I don't think is, is very good. And there's, again, there's a time and place for an internal cue. Like you, you want to cue internally when the, when the movements are not intense. Um, so even with hitters, like I know a lot of people are really anti T I love T's. I absolutely love them with hitters too, because the first 10 minutes, I mean, we got to warm up. And so we're doing some low, you know, maybe lower intensity drills. We're isolated bats. I, I loved all the lead in stuff with the T work. But that's the time to cue internally, you know, and our kids are smart. They want, I think it's important that they understand the movement patterns that we're, that we're looking for and um, for them to understand those. And again, so there's a time for an internal cue. Now, when we're on the mound and we're trying to get a guy out, no, that's not when we cue internally. What did you bring from the hitting side from movement based stuff to the pitching side? Yeah. Right. When I, when I was at Northern Iowa, I I helped out. um, I was the volunteer assistant the year before I came to Iowa. Uh, so I was still a professor at UNI. Ryan Jacobs asked me to be the volunteer and I worked with hitters there. And, um, I've taken some stuff from, uh, I, I think Trent Otis is a really smart hitting guy. And one of the things that, um, that I like from him is how he compartmentalizes, uh, this, the swing into certain patterns. Um, and I, I really like the way he organizes it. So rear hip control, um, 
uh, connection, uh, you know, all those kinds of things, uh, pivot, all the, the pivot, all those, all those things. Um, and so we would basically, uh, in the fall, we would, we, we would work on a, a particular movement pattern that we wanted all the, all the girls to have present in their swings. And we would design a bunch of different drills, variability, you know, lots of drills, lots of variability to challenge that particular muscle. So the same focus on, on everything you're doing for two weeks, it's only rear hip control, the way you're getting into your hip, but like here's 15 different drills and you're going to feel it a bunch of different ways, but you're always got the same intent. And we had, we had really good success with that. Like that group of hitters, I think Ryan was returning like maybe 15 or 16 home runs on that team coming back from the year before. Um, and that group hit 60 and broke the single season record the next year. Um, just literally making some, some tweaks to, uh, you know, to their motor patterns. So that I, I took the same concept from it, from the pitching side too. Well, we've got some, some patterns that we want to see and, you know, you just come up with as many, again, none of the drills are magic. Like I, I like how Eugene puts it. They're all good. They're all bad. They all work. They all don't work. Um, so Shout the out to JJ are, Reimer, by the way, too, who played for me two years at Western oh, Illinois. Yeah. So I'm happy for JJ. JJ's a rising. He's doing a great job. Yeah, he's a rising star for sure. Absolutely. Big idea four here says changes take time. Realistically, if we're trying to make some sort of a change, you know, for any coaches out there, we run into it every year with, with guys that we are coaching and trying to make changes. Realistically, how long does it take for them to get it yeah. ingrained? Yeah. First of all, there's a lot of variability between guys too. We had um, the S2 come in, the cognition group, Paul Phillips, um, really great group. They came in and did all the, the brain testing on our guys and we found, you know, and, and it was just crazy. We had some guys that you can see based on their, on their cognition scores that it's hard for them to make changes. And we, and we could see that. I mean, it was like, it was like a light bulb went off for some for, for us as coaches, like going, you know, you think a guy maybe is resistant and maybe being a little uncoachable. And it's just that I was, hard. I was on that spectrum. Honestly, I, I needed to see myself. I think, I think we take for granted sometimes as coaches that it's really easy to make changes and it's, it's not for some guys. It's really hard for yeah. some guys. Yeah. Um, the, 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 our, our guy that, um, with the takeaway that took that, that probably took 12 weeks. Yeah. Um, it might, it might, may have been faster, but because we were, you know, and that's, that's, that's a thing. Like there's times of the year that it makes more sense to, to work on this stuff than, than others. Right. Um, I would argue probably the season is not a great time to be working on this. Right. Um, doesn't mean you can't, but it just means it's probably not the best time for me. Uh, it's that, that when is for, like the summer is a good time. Uh, I'll just use that as a, as an example. And especially if you're coming off of an injury and you're rehabbing, that's a really good time because the motivation is high to change. Right. I need to, I need to change something. I got hurt. Um, and then you're starting at the, the nature of rehab, you start at low intensity, right? And then, and so it's easy to make a change when you're not throwing hard. So we call that, it's called errorless learning in the, in the literature, right? We're, we're doing things perfectly at a low intensity each week. You're throwing a little harder, you stress the pattern over time, but you can build variability into that variability is another one, right? It's really important. We can build that into the throwing program. Absolutely. Hey, with his takeaway, did he ever go back? Did you ever no. see in his outings? He never went back to the no, old takeaway. Never, it never changed. That's unbelievable for me yeah. that he, he was able to stay consistent with his takeaway. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then big idea five, use accelerants. Uh, yeah. which I thought was, you had a, you got a bunch of tools in the tool bag, which I think are phenomenal. 
Yeah. The, the, the accelerant one was, was the variability, right? Um, that's the one we were just talking about. And so uh, I've, you know, I've read everything that the ranch has put out. I've read, I've read, you know, everything drivelines put out. Uh, I've read everything this year. Uh, I've read everything that 108 has done. I mean, I've, and I'm scouring Twitter. I'm scouring, I, I bought all those, those Japanese books with the DVDs. You know what I mean? I'm working through those and I, I'm, I'm just looking for more drills. That's all I'm looking for. And so I'm creating a bank of drills. And so um, each week, uh, my goal is this year is every, every week or two to change the, the, the drills that we're going to do during those first 30 throws. I'm going to try to change those up every two weeks or so. Um, but always, you know, the, each guy's going to have their intent that they're working on the things that they're working on, but continue to throw different challenges at their nervous system, right. Um, to get those things to change quicker. But yeah, variability is definitely going to make those changes happen faster. You talked about the cognitive stuff with Paul Phillips. Do you feel like that's the next phase of player development where we're going, where we haven't dove into yet? Uh, it's, it's a big one. You know, you look at all the things that can affect some guys, you know, his rate or the rate at which he develops, you know, like, so you, you got all the physical stuff, right? No, no problems there. Like um, these mobility, strength, all that stuff's good. And then you've got like the technical aspects. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing to say about the swing or the, he moves fine. You know, those types of things. Um, uh, you've got things like uh, vision, you know, if the vision, you check that box. And then obviously within vision, there's all these other things, you know, on, at least that we do, there's, you know, we 12 different vision abilities that we evaluate and, and work on and all that kind of stuff. So you got that toolbox. And then, then there's this, this, the approach, right? The mental side of the game. Like if, are you confident? Do you have a good routine? Um, are you disciplined with your routine? You, you know, mental type, all that stuff, whatever, whatever you we want to throw in that bucket. So if, if a guy's doing all those things, right. Um, you know, what's the last piece and it's, it's the way your brain processes information. And that's what this cognition test does, you know? So that's what, um, uh, I, just, it was remarkable. It was fascinating to, to go through and pour through those reports with our guys, because some of the stuff is, is intuitive. You're like, but it's nice to see some, some data to support what you thought was true. But another case has completely baffled us with other guys. You know what I mean? You know, at the end, you talked about build up for pitchers, which I loved because you're, you're at a high school clinic. So you're trying to help high school coaches with their build up part of it. And I loved because I, I felt you and I are on the same exact same page with this. Your last outing before you face an opponent, you throw more pitches in that outing than you do your first outing against yeah. somebody else. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that goes into the accumulated stress part of things. For sure it does. I, I basically just tried to create a bit of a, an algorithm um, for, uh, for the pitching coaches to, to, uh, create the ramp up, right. And to determine, you know, how, how to ramp, how to ramp them up. So essentially it was basically how long is our shutdown period, right? Like what's today's date. And then when do we play again? So what is the length of that period? Um, and then once you've figured that out, you basically go in there and go, okay, so when do I get my hands on the guys again? When can they start throwing again? That'll determine your ramp up period. Um, then you count the number of weeks that you essentially have from that point to that point, um, from when they're going to start throwing to when you play your first game, you got to make a decision. How many pitches I'm going to ask this kid to throw on the very first day. Is it 80? Is it 70? Is it 60? And then from there, uh, you just however many number of pitches divided by the number of weeks and there's your ramp up. You know what I mean? And I, I, I think that's where we're getting better with preparing pitchers for the season is, is the ramp up part of it. Right. 
it's important. It's really important. Um, and, and, and I'm efficiency is important too, right? I, the way a guy moves and how much stress he's putting on his arm when he's throwing hard, um, to me that, that gives you more room for error, but I still think you need to be a response, you know, responsible and, and program, uh, with, with proper ramp up. What other book recommendations do you have? You gave, I, I knew when we'd get in here, you'd have a ton of good info, but what other book recommendations? Like you have a young coach out there right now that's, that's trying to yeah. get into all of this. I think all of the motor learning stuff is really great. Anything that's written by Keith Davids or Ian Renshaw, um, all that stuff is really great. Um, it can be a little textbooky, you know what I mean? Uh, but you know, take your time and, and plow through it. Um, I like Franz Bosch on the motor learning side. Um, I, I like his stuff. Right now I'm reading a book called Physical Intelligence. Um, talks about how our, our brain uses all of the information from the environment and then inside of our bodies, all of our, all of our proprioceptors to basically map the environment and, 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 and basically how we process all that information to, to move and, and, and make decisions and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, on the pitching side, from a programming standpoint, some things that are a little that are out there that aren't baseball specific, like anything written by Charlie Francis, the famous sprints coach from from Canada, um, is really great. And then there's a Russian scientist um, named Anatoly Bondarchuk that wrote a lot of books on programming, and um, we're using some of his principles um, to help guys throw harder that have been really effective. Um, so yeah, well, those are some what are the, some of the principles for him on throwing hard? So, yeah, Bonderchuk's really interesting. So the the typical, the typical, um, you know, when you think of a program, there's a varying intensity and and periodization volume. part to it. Exactly right. So we we vary intensity and volume to prevent any type of stagnation, right, or plateau. Um, so if you constantly are uh, throwing something at the athlete, the body is constantly adapting and changing. And not the, the problem with that, it, it, it's fine. But the downside of that is the growth that you get from that type of training is actually not very fast. It's a slow growth. It's a long, slow grow, right? A long, slow burn. And for me, if I've got a six week period where it's like, okay, I've got like, for, for example, the six week period where we have it's individuals, right? We got eight hours a week with the guy for six weeks after fall ball. Um, I didn't shut our guys down. I know a lot of programs take that time to shut down a little bit. I went the opposite way. I went, that was our probably our most intense training block was that six week period because I'm like, I've got my hands on these guys for eight hours a week, just in small groups. This is an opportunity to really, to get so after how did, it. How did you program the week then? Okay. So you've got, you've got your eight hours. How yeah. are you breaking that up? And the, you know, the, you need the two days off a week. Yep. How are yep. you breaking it up with the five days that you were going? Yeah. So that, so we, we did a seven day cycle, um, on that Monday through Sunday, whatever. Um, and so again, I got to backtrack just a little bit. The bonder truck training is a little different. You do not vary intensity and volume. Really? You, yeah. You set the program and then, and that's what it is every week. Um, so the, and with the goal being a rapid adaptation, I want the guys to peak. I want them to plateau. And as soon as they plateau, we're monitoring every day, we're collecting data. As soon as you plateau, boom, then you, then you change it up you know, and start something different. But, um, we went for six weeks and yeah, we had guys make some really obnoxious velo jumps in six weeks. Um, you're recording every throw on that with the velocity. Yep. Yep. So what it looked like, and I don't mind sharing what, what it looked like. Cause I, I'm, we're doing a different one in the summer. We're going off calendar. We're doing a six day cycle this summer right now with guys. 
Um, but yeah, the, what it looked like is on a, like, let's say it was start on Monday. Monday is going to be your velo pen. So you're going to, you're going to play catch and do your 30. You're going to do your long toss routine that you do before you, uh, your pregame long toss routine and compress a little bit. Um, and then we would collect a bunch of data. We would get like vertical jump data, how fast they can jump. We would get um, data on the two pound medicine ball, you know, throwing the two pound medicine ball as hard as you can get that velo. Um, we would get uh, velocity on their compression, last two compression throws. Like they would throw two or three, however many they wanted, you know, each guy's different. Um, we would get a, a velo on like a, like a hundred foot compression throw or whatever. Then they would warm up on the mound and then they would, they basically had two sets of 10 pitches where they slowly ramped up and then give me your three best fastballs at the end. And then we, we recorded those and we just track it over time. And what you'll notice is, you know, the bonder check system athletes will have three basic signature responses to this type of steady training. You're either going to increase right away in plateau. You're going to get worse for a little bit, then increase in plateau, or you're going to stay steady for a while, then increase in plateau. And, and all of our guys, most of our guys followed that first signature, um, increase really fast and then, and then plateau. And it was great because we had six weeks to do it and they all were kind of flattening out at, at about the six week mark. Are you communicating that with your guys that, okay, there's oh, yeah. three options that may happen here with yep. you just in case. So guys don't start flipping out on it. Yep. 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 Exactly. And it was funny because we're tracking all this other data that goes with that. And the jump did not correlate. Their jump performance did not track with their, with their fastball performance, but the medicine ball toss was the one that just it mirror imaged it. And so a lot of the improvements that guys were making because of that, lend me to believe that they were more sequencing and technical, right? From the neck down, from the shoulder down, because when you throw them to throw a medicine ball really hard, you've, you've got to move really well. You're right. The, the trunk and the, and the lower body that those are where the moves are. It has nothing to do with the arm. So for those to be tracking and for that to correlate so, so well with throwing velocity tells me that a lot of the adaptation was some of that was just, efficiency of movement, right? They're learning to move better through high intent throwing, right? What are you recommending then? Okay. Say they make their last throw and whatever they're doing, what are you doing recovery wise? Are you just, they shutting it down and they doing something else? No. So we have a, we have a, our trainer's awesome. Connor likely. Um, he, we, so the strength coach and I, and, and again, to do a training program like this, it's an all encompassing. Like you have to have me and the strength coach and that trainer, like all three of us are like in the office one to two hours every week. I mean, it's, it's a big effort and a big coordination coordinated because the strength program has to fit perfectly with what we're doing on the, on the, the, for that throwing cycle. Right. Um, and same thing with the recovery. So, uh, we had five different recovery protocols for all the different days. I'm sorry, that's not right. Four of them. So what they, on the velo day, which was the highest stressful CNS day, that is actually the lowest, the less, um, the least amount to do on a recovery standpoint, um, on our recovery throwing days, that's when we really got after rotator cuff strength and, and scap function and those kinds of things. So yeah, it was all planned out and coordinated and there was some synergy there between the three aspects of recovery strength and, and throwing the days that they're not with you then during that time period are active recovery or are you just giving them the whole day off? Yeah. So, so yeah, you had the, so, uh, the Monday was your velo day. Uh, Tuesday was a recovery day. So 30 throws up to 90 feet. And I, they didn't, they weren't with me on that one. Like I, I didn't need to see that. Uh, Wednesday was a long toss day, um, uh, to a certain distance, count the throws, count the distances, keeping things stable from week to week. 
uh, no compression throws on Wednesday. Um, and then, uh, Thursday was another recovery day. Friday, we went back on the mound and did more pitch design stuff. So that's what we, they had to throw a few good fastballs, but then the majority of that work was on stuff. Um, that was our pitch design session. Uh, and then Saturday was another recovery day. Sunday was off and we just did that every for seven, six weeks. So, you know, I think you're really forward thinking. What other recommend recommendations do you have out there for coaches? You know, on the pitching side, um, anything that has to do with, um, workload management, um, auto regulation is an area that like, we're going to use Omega wave this year with our guys. Um, I, I, I was, just been talking to some guys and I, you know, there's some things we're missing that I'm missing that we could tighten up that could be a little bit better. And it's going to be this, this idea of auto regulation, um, I think is important. Um, are you familiar with the Omega wave? I'm not. It, it's, it, it basically is, it scans your brain. It gives you wake up in the morning and you, you attach this electrode to your brain to get a DC potential of your brain, which essentially is measuring the readiness of your central nervous system. And then there's another another unit goes on your wrist and it's measuring heart rate variability, which is kind of telling you whether you're in a fight or flight or a rest and digest, you know, your autonomic nervous system. So sympathetic, parasympathetic motor tone. Um, and so taking those two bits of information, um, to help us fine tune the, the timing of our intensity, you know what I mean? So we have these, we have these blocks that we design, um, and what you got to really, you know, super compensation theory, right? You stress the system, it depletes. Um, and if you time the next, training bout when the athlete is super compensating, you're going to get growth. Um, the problem with that is you're not a, a, a single system. You're, you're, you got a muscular system, a CNS, you've got the metabolic system, you've got the cardiopulmonary system, and all of these things are depleted at different rates and with different kinds of training and they all recover at different rates. And so what this system does Omega wave is in the morning, it gives us an idea of where they're at. Um, from a, from a training readiness standpoint. And so maybe we push, right. Uh, you know, you were going to get after today on the throwing, maybe we push one day, or maybe we adjust what we're doing in the weight room today, um, to just kind of fine tune what we're doing with us. Cause that'll explain why you put together a nice program and you get like six guys that kill it, right. And get, get better. And then a bunch of guys did okay. And then some other guys just maybe even got worse, right. The, this explains that stuff. So okay. we're going to try that out this year. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I knew this was going to be phenomenal um, when you got on here with me, and um, I can't thank you enough for doing that. So Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, have a great vacation. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's going to be good. We're going to uh, – we got a little cabin that we found, so we're going to socially distance ourselves, be responsible, but try to get out of town too. So it should be fun. Every time I talk to Coach Lund, I come away with a ton of great information. I feel like he's the future of coaching. I love his willingness to share and his ability to take complex concepts and make them easily digestible. I hope you took great notes on this one. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks for listening and leave it better for those behind you.